If you did not open with Thomas, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open to the book of Jude, the second to last book in your Bible, just a short 25-verse book right before Revelation. We're going to spend our time tonight camping down in the small letter of Jude. I hope it'll be a good study tonight. While you're turning there, let me say thank you one more time to everybody who had anything to do with this morning. Uh, I feel like it's been a great day. Um, I had this conscious thought, this may be weird of me to even think it, but I thought to myself this afternoon, I thought, I feel like when I'm old and I can't go to church anymore, I feel like days like today are the the type of days I'm going to miss. And I'm going to think, you know, that was a great day. We had a Bible school record at Great Oaks and had a great breakfast together and people were sacrificing and making an effort to be part of it. So thank you for everybody who cooked this morning, who got up and came to Bible classes this morning. I really appreciate you being back here tonight as well. I hope our lesson will be encouraging. So you may have had teachers growing up who told you, uh, if you have a question, ask it, because if you have that question, someone else probably has that question also. And that's the main idea behind some of my Sunday nights here, starting last week, if you're with us last week. Um, As we were getting closer to this little time period in the year, I didn't have for sure what I wanted to do on Sunday nights just yet. I was going back and forth between some different things. And so I thought, why don't, as it got here, I thought, why don't I do some things that have come up in conversation and questions with other people over the last few months? Because if someone has the question... Someone else probably has the question too. And so last week we talked about the Old Testament and its role in the life of the Christian. Tonight we're going to talk about the short little book of Jude. I've had several conversations that have led back to this small little book recently. And so maybe it's something you've thought about before. If you haven't, it may be something you will think about if you find yourself reading through the book of Jude. And I hope it will be a good study for us tonight. Uh, So you can see what I have on the outline. I have three things I want us to do. We're going to look at the main ideas of Jude. Just what's the big idea behind these 25 verses? We're going to look at a question that people often ask when they read it. They say, boy, what's going on there? And then we're going to talk about a question that Jude helps us answer. So that's our night tonight. What's the big idea of Jude? What's the question that comes out of it? And what does it help us answer? There's several things you might say it helps us answer, but there's one that I often find myself back in Jude talking about in particular. So first of all, who's Jude? Who are we been talking about here? He is a brother of Jesus. Uh, Matthew 13, 55 gives us a list of Jesus' brothers. He goes back home to Nazareth. Remember, the people don't want to listen to him. And it says, is this not the carpenter's son? By the way, Mark's account of that passage says, is this not the carpenter? Which lets us know Jesus not only was the carpenter's son, he was a carpenter himself. And so he had learned that trade. He was working as a carpenter. If you had lived in Nazareth, you might have a bookshelf made by Jesus or something like that. That would have been pretty neat to have, wouldn't it, after what he became. But so he was a carpenter. And they say, is not his mother called Mary? And then they list his brothers. And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. So those are pretty common names for the first century. These are not strange names. Interesting that that several of those would have the same names as apostles. James, there would also be an apostle named James, but the James who wrote the book of James is this one, the brother of Jesus, who eventually became a believer. Joseph, probably named after his father, who was his earthly father, Joseph. Um, By the way, you notice they don't mention Joseph here. We don't know anything about his father, Joseph, after he was 12 years old in the temple. And so people wonder, maybe he died young. 
Um, it wasn't too uncommon for, for there to be a big difference in age between husband and wife in those days. And so people wonder, maybe Joseph died young and that's why we don't see him anymore um, because his sisters are mentioned in the, the passage and Mark's also, they mentioned his brothers. So you got James, you got Joseph, and then Simon and Judas. One of Jesus' brothers was named Judas, which is pretty ironic because Judas betrayed him. But that Judas is the one who wrote the book of Jude. And we wonder if we call it Jude, perhaps wanting to be a little different from the name Judas. We don't, we don't know. But it's the same, it's the same name. Uh, in the, the Greek language, Judas, Jude, it's the same person. So it's the brother of Jesus that writes this letter, just like the brother of Jesus named James. He didn't believe in Jesus during his life. But when Jesus rose from the dead, the brothers of Jesus realized, wow, this is real. He really is the Son of God and they give their lives to it, and they become leaders in the church. So what's the main thing going on in Jude? Uh, I've got three things to sort of pull this together. One, we should contend for the Christian faith. You see that phrase right here near the beginning of the letter. What, what does that mean? It uses that word. You see I put it in quotes. So verses 1 and 2, this is what Thomas read, Jude introducing himself. Notice he just calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ, brother of James. I think I would have said brother of Jesus, but uh, that people often think there was some humility behind them not mentioning that. So maybe that's what's going on. But he just calls himself a servant of Jesus, a brother of James. He's writing to Christians. Mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. And then verse 3. He says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation. So stop there just a second. He said, I wanted to sit down and write to you about the faith we share the salvation we share, but something came up. I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. That's a great verse. That's a verse, verse worth circling, underlining, memorizing. Uh, I was going to write to you about our salvation. You can almost feel like there was, a, there was something on his mind, that, that maybe God working through that, of course, to inspire this letter. But what I, wanted, what I decided to do, I felt the necessity to tell you, we need to contend for the faith. What does that mean? I don't think it means to be angry about it. I don't think it means to be ugly or unkind about the Christian faith. But what it does mean is we need to stand firm on what God has given us. And when people have different ideas, as they always will, and as we'll see here in this letter as part of the reason Jude wanted to write this, we at some point just have to say, this is our conviction. I'm going to stand with God on this. And we can be kind and we can be friends, hopefully, but I'm going to stand with the Lord. Contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Why does he even say to do that? Well, he says there are false teachers and God will judge them as he always has. So why is, he, why is he so concerned? Why does he feel like we need to contend for the faith? There are false teachers and God will judge them. So verse 4, he explains why he felt the need to, to encourage the Christians to contend for the faith. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, which is sinful living, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. 
So some people have, it's always funny to me the way it's worded in, in the least in American standard. Certain persons have crept in unnoticed. So, so something's happened. Some people have different ideas, and before we knew it, they were talking to everybody, and there's all these different ideas that are not right, and they're convincing people to live sinful lives. He says, but God's going to judge that. You don't want to be part of that. God's going to judge that. He says, and he, he reminds them, he says in verse 5, let me show you what God does to, to this when people leave him, when people turn away from him. Verse 5, now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, keep that phrase in mind, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. So when they came out of Egypt, you know, they started, the 40 years would come about. Um, he, those who did not believe, even though they had been saved, they left the Lord and they were punished for it. Verse 6, angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. But I want you to notice, he's given examples of those who left the Lord, and, and God judges that. God punishes that. So the Israelites, they're not living right. They were punished for it. Angels, we wish we knew more about this. You just have these glimpses in Scripture that somewhere along the way, angels did not keep their own domain. They, they had some job God had given them, and in some way they had decided, at least some of them, to follow Satan rather than follow God. Wish we knew more about it. But he says, we're keeping them in bonds. God, Jesus, sorry, God is keeping them in bonds, uh, eternal bonds, under darkness for the judgment of the great day. In Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus says that what hell was really made for was the devil and his angels. That, that's what that punishment's supposed to be for. And so we don't want to follow them. We don't follow down that path of, of what their punishment will be. And so here he says, angels, they left the Lord. God's going God's to judge that. Verse 7 gives one more example. Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. Since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, a reference to the, the sexual sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, he says they're exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So what's Jude's point? God punishes. When, when people go to sin and they choose sin over God, there's a punishment for that. And so he says there's false teachers teaching these, these bad things that are trying to keep you away from the Lord. Don't follow them. God will judge that, and you don't want to be judged along with it. The next thing he says then, before we talk about the question that sometimes comes up in this, this letter. So what does he want Christians to do? Avoiding the world's false ideas... We must continue in the true faith and the true love of God. Contend for the faith, he says. Stand, stand with the faith of Jesus Christ, the Christian faith that's been taught. There are false teachers. God's going to judge that. Don't go down that path. You stay in what God has given us. He says in verses 17 and following, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. Guys, the apostles told us this was going to happen, he says. The apostles told us there would be these false teachers with all these different ideas. He says these are the ones who cause divisions. They're worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. The Spirit's not living in them. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, 
Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So first thing I want us to do tonight, that, we, that this finishes it off, I want us to see what the whole letter is about. That's what it's about. You all stand in the faith, Jude says. There are false teachers. God will judge them. You stay going down the right path. All right, what's, what comes up with Jude? So we already saw the angels. That's interesting. That's something that doesn't come up a whole lot. The thing that when people read through Jude sometimes for the first time that comes up is, what is he talking about in some of these middle verses? And, and here's what he does. He quotes sources that aren't in the Bible. And he's quoting things about people mentioned in the Bible, but not actually in the Bible. So let me explain what's going on there. So Jude is quoting sources, I'll let you write that down, that aren't in the Bible. He, and he does this twice. So again, he's talking about these false teachers. In verse 8, he says, In the same way these men, talking about the false teachers, by dreaming, defile the flesh, they reject authority, they revile angelic majesties. There's an arrogance to them, he says. They revile, they reject authority, they revile angelic majesties. And then look what he quotes. He says, Michael the archangel. By the way, if you ever get asked that question, Bible trivia, whatever else, the only archangel mentioned in the Bible is Michael. Most people know Gabriel better because he's not said to be an archangel. Gabriel's not, but he presents God's message several times. So people know the name Gabriel more, but the only archangel is Michael. He says, Michael, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So what is, what is he talking about? Well, we don't have the writing anymore. But some of the early writers tell us that what Jude is quoting from is a, a little writing called the Assumption of Moses. Now, all that the Bible tells us about Moses' death, if you remember the end of Deuteronomy, he goes up on Mount Nebo, God shows him the promised land. He's not going to be able to go in the promised land, but he shows him the promised land. And then it says Moses dies up there on the mountain after he and God have this special moment together where God's showing him the promised land. And it says God himself buried Moses in a place no one would know in a valley in Moab. And no one knew where it was. Well, the assumption of Moses, apparently there's this conversation between Michael and the devil over what we're going to do with the body of Moses that people must have known about in the first century about this writing. And he said, here's Jude's point. When Michael was arguing with with the devil, he wasn't arrogant like these false teachers are. That's what he's saying. He, he said, the Lord rebuke you. I'm not rebuking you. The Lord rebuke you. And so he's making a contrast, but he's quoting from this book that we don't know a whole lot about. Let me talk about the other one he does. And that's what he says in verse 10. These guys, they revile things they don't even understand. Uh, the other one he does is in verses 15 and, and verse 14. Verse 14 and 15. He says, it was also about these men, these false teachers, that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they've done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. So he says that Enoch said this. Now again, you look in the Old Testament. Enoch is mentioned in Genesis chapter 5. What you may know about him is uh, he walked with God, Genesis 5 says. Enoch walked with God, and that he was not because God took him. 
So Enoch doesn't die. God just takes him home with him. God can do what he wants. He created the world out of nothing. And so he takes Enoch home with him. That's all we know about him. But there was this writing, and we do have copies of this, in the first century called First Enoch, where someone had written down some things that they said were from Enoch, but we don't really think they were from Enoch. This thing seemed to just pop up in the first century. And he quotes from that and says, Enoch prophesied that God was going to judge these people. And so the question comes up, why is he quoting these things if it sounds like these are things that aren't in the Bible? Well, here's something to get us started on this. Here's what I think is going on. Just referencing a source does not mean that you believe everything about it to be true. In other words, Jude can quote from those writings without saying everything, anything else in those writings are true. He's not saying they were from God. He's not saying that, that they're inspired by God. What he's saying is, this shows us something that is true. And so, for example, let's give some examples of this in Scripture where people quote from others that are not in the Bible. So Paul does this a lot. Acts chapter 7, verse 28, if you're keeping the outline, one to write down there. Paul is standing up in Athens at Mars Hill. He says, In him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. And what commentators will tell you is he is quoting from a poet named Eratus. And so he quotes this poet and says, You're poets. Say that we're all his children. So he's trying to convince them that, that you're a child of the real God. Paul's not saying that Eratus was inspired by God. Paul's not saying that anything else Eratus said was right. What he's saying is, that's true. That statement is true. That's all he's saying. He does it in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He says, do not be deceived. And you notice the quotes. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's not an Old Testament quote. That's a quote, commentators will tell you, from a writer named Menander. Paul was again quoting, and again, Paul, Paul read all the time. You know, Paul's the, Paul's the PhD of the apostles. So many of them were fishermen, but Paul's got the best education, and you know, he's he was the perfect person to go engage with the Roman Empire. So he's got all these sources. He knows, he knows the writings and he can quote them to people as he's talking about it. He's not saying anything else Menander said is true. He says that's true. Bad company corrupts good morals. One more of these, Titus 1 and verse 2, and again it's Paul. He's writing to Titus, about, and Titus is on this island called Crete. He says, one of themselves, one of the people from Crete, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then he says, this testimony is true. Now, that's funny to me that Paul just says, you know what? He's right. They are liars and gluttons and, and, uh, and evil beasts. So he's not saying anything else that that poet said. And by the way, that writer is Epimenides, um, scholars will, will tell you. Um, he's not saying anything else Epimenides said is true. But he's saying that that's part of their culture. And so, Titus, you're going to have to deal with those things. You're going to have to deal with lying and evil and laziness and gluttony. Like that. You're going to have to deal with that as you're engaging the Cretan culture. Uh, so what does that have to do with, with Jude? I think Jude can quote from those other books without saying anything else in them was true. And he could do this in one of two ways. He could be quoting from them as just a story everybody knows. Like you and I, I might quote from the Chronicles of Narnia and reference uh, something that that Aslan the lion does, and say, like, like Aslan said, and quote some. I'm not saying that that actually happened. I'm not saying that, 
that Aslan was inspired or C.S. Lewis was inspired. I'm just saying that story you know, maybe, from the Chronicles of Narnia shows us something. I think that's, Jude could be doing that. Or he could be saying, second of all, maybe nothing else in the Assumption of Moses happened, but maybe Michael really did have a conversation with the devil. And maybe Enoch didn't say anything else that's written in the book of 1 Enoch, but maybe that tradition that he said that, maybe he really did say that. Now, if I had to guess, if you had to nail me to the wall and say, Tim, what, what is Jude doing? My guess would be he's referencing it as a story that they knew, just like you would the Chronicles of Narnia. Here's something you've heard before that shows a truth about these false teachers. I think that's what he's doing. But he's not saying that those books are inspired or anything like that. Feel free to ask more questions about that later if you want to. Um, and so some of you, I would like to thank the person that brought this up a few months ago. Uh, but, but sometimes this comes up. You know, what's going on with these other writings in Jude? So that's a question that comes up. Um, so let's, let's then, I said we want to do three things. We saw the main idea of Jude, contend for the faith, don't listen to false teachers. A question that comes up, why does Jude reference these other works? I think you can do that without saying anything bigger than the works besides that there's something true. Number three, there's a question that Jude helps us answer. Another reason I've found myself in conversations back in Jude. And it, it comes from Jude verse 3, and this is the idea. The Christian faith was never supposed to be changed. That comes up in our diverse religious world. You know, sometimes people say, well, what about the Book of Mormon? Um, I've been talking with someone and they've got a Mormon background. And um, they believe that the Book of Mormon goes with Scripture. And they, it, it was just added later to help us know more about what God says. Or someone might say, well, I've, I've got a friend who comes from a Catholic background. And the, the Catholics believe that, you can, uh, that the Pope can, can make rules about certain things. And even if the Bible says something, that tradition can make its own thing alongside it. And so even if the Bible says this... That the, the Catholic Church believes you can just say something different. Sometimes denominational bodies will do that. Say our council has gotten together, or our convention has gotten together, and even though the Bible says this, we've decided this, something different. And so it becomes an authority issue. Well, Jude is one of the places that reminds us, God tells us we're not supposed to change His Word. That it was given once and for all. Did you notice that phrase in, in Jude verse 3? Again, I told you that was, to me, the key verse of this short letter. I was writing to you about our common salvation, but I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly. Notice how he describes it. For the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. It wasn't going to be changed. It wasn't going to be added to. In Hebrews chapter 10, that same phrase, once for all, is used about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and how it was a once for all sacrifice. It wasn't going to be changed didn't need to be added to, didn't need to be improved as time went on. It was a once-for-all sacrifice. And the Christian faith that has been handed down was once-for-all handed down. Wasn't going to be changed. That becomes a big issue as we discuss things with people. Because when people come from, from different backgrounds, one of the first things we often have to have a conversation about is, what do you feel about Scripture? And once we get on the same page of Scripture really is the Word of God, now let's talk about what it says. Uh, when we're not, there's nothing else outside of it that's given us any, any authority. What does the Bible say about this? Let me put a few verses up here that I think add. Jude 3 is not the only verse that says this. Let me just put a few other passages up here because this is an important principle um, for all time. He says, the faith is once for all handed down. 
Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. I don't know what you would do if an angel appeared to you and started telling you to believe something. Um, but even if that happens, I don't expect it to happen, but even if it happens, if that angel's saying something different from what the Bible says, Paul says, you don't listen to him. You don't listen to him. Um, I remember we had a, we had, I may have told you this before, we had a Bible class teacher growing up, and, and it was a, one of those great Bible classes. You know, sometimes Bible classes... Uh, they make a difference in your faith, and they stand out. And so we're, we're probably middle school age, and we're sitting around. Our Bible class teacher asked that question, what if an angel appeared to you tonight and said for you to do something different than the Bible? And he looked at my friend John. He said, John, what would you do if an angel appeared to you? And John said, I'd probably wet my pants. And that's, that's, not, that's not what he was going for. That's not what the teacher was going for. What he wanted us to say was, uh, I'm not going to follow it. I'm not going to do what the angel says because God says I'm sticking with the Bible. And then he, and then he says it again in verse 9. As we've said before... So I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Wasn't supposed to change. Never supposed to change. Even if an angel shows up, wasn't supposed to be changed. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, and, and these verses are all over Paul's letters. I've just got a few of them. Paul says, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. So even if the religious world over time goes off and starts doing its own thing, Paul says, no, you hold to the traditions that we taught you, that the apostles taught you. In, in what we sometimes call the restoration movement, that's the goal, is to let's go back and do things the way God wanted them done, because that's what God wants. He wants us to, to hold to those traditions. They weren't supposed to be changed. Um, and, they, and so I'll, when I see the apostles doing something, that's what I'm supposed to continue doing. When I see them teaching something, that's what I'm supposed to continue teaching. Philippians 3.17, another one. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. There was a pattern the church had in the inspired apostles. What they taught, what they taught the church to do, uh, we're supposed to follow that pattern that was given through the apostles. That's what that verse is saying, if I understand it correctly. And then what about when people change it? Romans 16, last verse to write down here. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. When you see people teaching something different than what was taught by the apostles, what does he say? You turn away from that. You don't listen to that. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. When people are teaching their own things that aren't what the apostles did, he says, they're just doing, they're doing what they want to do. They're doing what people want them to do. He says, you turn away from that. And so the Bible's clear, and Jude just contributes to it. There was something the apostles taught, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God wanted those things to continue for all time. We, we can't improve on them. We can't change them. Shouldn't change them. God knows what He's doing. Jude reminds us the faith was once for all handed down to the saints. So I hope, I hope just a brief look through Jude is uh, not only interesting, maybe, but also I hope faith encouraging. 
if we've, if we've gotten our three things right tonight, I hope we have. Let me know if you have further questions. But Judah's saying, you stand strong in the faith. Don't listen to false teachers. There's always going to be other ideas. Don't listen to those. You contend for the faith. Uh, Jude quotes other things. You can quote things. Uh, truth is truth wherever it's found. We're not scared of truth. You can find true things in a lot of things. That doesn't mean everything about it's correct. Jude can quote those things without saying that they're all correct. And then number three, just the idea that the faith was once for all delivered. Not supposed to be changed. And whenever we find ourselves off of that, let's go back to Scripture. Let's have the commitment and the honesty that says, let's go back and get it right, just the way God wants us to. Maybe this will be a fitting end for the whole day. Our Bible class Sunday, uh, our thoughts about Scripture all day long and how we want to follow God the way God has given us His Word. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for our church family's commitment to Scripture. I believe that's what God wants. Uh, I'm, I know we're not perfect. We're, we're people. Uh, we're we're going to mess things up. We're, we're going to have to get things back in order. Uh, that, that's going to happen as you go along. But the goal, if I understand it, is the right goal. May we never lose that commitment. Let's follow God's word with everything we have, trusting he knows what he's doing. Tonight, if you're not right with God, that's the reason he gives us his word. He wants us to be right with him. He wants us to have that relationship with him through Jesus Christ, uh, where we not only have the best life here, with the family and the faith and the strength that comes in Christianity, we have the hope of heaven as well. We're about to sing a song of invitation, and I saw the song as Jesus is Lord. Just a reminder that He is Lord of His world, He is Lord of our life, He is Lord of His church. Uh, if, if He has not been the Lord of your life by the way you've lived, we hope you'll change that. And if we can talk with you about it afterwards and pray about it, let us know. We'd love to help you privately. But if you're ready tonight to take a step of faith, you can be baptized into Jesus tonight. You can have your sins washed away, confessing your faith in Him. You can recommit yourself to the Lord and say, you know, I haven't been living the way I need to. I want to get back on the right path. Uh, or maybe you have sin that you say, I've, I've been sinning, I, I need to get that out as well. Whatever your needs are, you have a church family gathered here. If we can help you tonight, you're invited to come to the front while we stand and while we sing. i